What we do in the service is what we're teaching people and forming people to value. Everything we do shapes us in some way. It's messy. It's difficult. It all flows out of that deep encounter with the Holy God. Welcome to the Lutheran Church Planter, a podcast exploring the theology, philosophy, and practice of planting new Lutheran congregations. I'm your host, Andy Coyle, church planter and director of home missions for the Association of Free Lutheran Congregations, joined by my co-host and fellow church planter, Matthew Ballman. Last week, we talked about just getting into this big question of why plant new congregations. And we talked about the gospel as the foundational reason. We talked about how the gospel is a central focus and motivation of planting, getting people saved, helping people meet Jesus and have life with Christ. And if that is not the foundation and anything else is put in that number one spot, we're going to be kind of in trouble. But we alluded to the second one last week, the second theological reason for planting churches, and that is related to the congregation. We talked about how when the the Great Commission was given to the disciples, they went out and planted congregations. They evangelized, but then they organized, right? They planted congregations. So what is it about the congregation that is so significant? Why is it such a gift? Why is it such a beautiful thing? And why is it then a reason for why we want to plant more of them? So Matt, talk about that. What What is the church? Let's just start there. What is the church? Uh, well, when we use that term church, it can mean really two, two things. One, we uh, can be referring to the universal church or the, the small C Catholic church. Right, we confess this in the in the Nicene Apostles' Creed. That's one way we use the, the term the church, and this includes this is really cool, like the church around the world today that we're a part of. We are mystically united to the church around the world today, right? Whether you see that or not, but also that includes the saints who have gone before us, those who have died in Christ who have gone before us. Before us, we are part of that church. Like that's a beautiful, wow, how right. cool is that? Like neat. But then there's this more um, kind of macro understanding of it that we see in the New Testament um, as well, is that and that is the local congregation, the local gathering of believers. And so when we talk about, you know, how you experience the kingdom of God, it's in that local setting. And in fact, this is so, so uh, important, such a deep conviction for us as an AFLC, that is part of our fundamental principles. It's principle number one. We say, according to the word of God, the congregation is the right form of the kingdom of God on earth. And that, that what that means is, if you want to experience the kingdom of God, you do so in the local congregation. It's where we most richly and vividly and powerfully experience God's manifesting work in the world. And that's a beautiful thing. How else, uh, let me ask you this. So that's a little, still kind of feels a little bit high level for us there. Okay, so the kingdom of God in the local congregation. What, what is that congregation? Let's drill down a little bit more on that. How, how do we answer that question? Yeah, so I think, you know, as a, as a Lutheran church body, as a confessional body that, you know, goes back hundreds of years, uh, many of our, well, if not most, I, everyone, I think, it's part of being the AFLC. We subscribe to the Unaltered Augsburg Confession, right? And that actually gives us the definition of the church. Uh, this is it right here. The church is the congregation of the saints in which the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments are rightly administered. Now, 
just a few years ago, you know, hundred years ago or so, uh, Sverdrup, who was one of our forefathers in the Lutheran Free Church, the AFLC, he defined it very similar, very similarly. He said, by biblical congregation is meant an assembly of believers with the right preaching of the gospel and the right administration of the sacraments. So you see this sort of historic foundation of the church. It, it is a gathering of believers. That's really important. Gathering of saints, right? Around the word of God, around the gospel that is proclaimed, taught, all that kind of stuff, and around the sacraments, baptism, Lord's Supper. And this is the place that God has designed. This is the place that God has created. Uh, and so with this then, this congregation, this church, has a very unique mission. That's why we're talking about mm. it here for planting congregations. There's a reason for it. God didn't just say, hey, I'm just going to mm. organize you for no reason. There's a very beautiful reason. I want to read a verse here from Ephesians 3, then and let you comment on it. 3.10, Ephesians 3.10. So that through the church... Notice that language, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. That is a powerful, powerful passage. Talk about what that means. This, this word picture is creating through the church. Yeah, man. I think this is implied in both those definitions that you read, like from the Augsburg Confession and Sphereup. So we hear this kind of these, the church is what these saints gathering together around the word and the sacrament. Well, what are those? Well, what saints are people who've been saved by grace, right? They've been taken from death into life. And what is the gospel and what are the sacraments? It's the gospel. It's God's, the good news, God's heart, forgiveness, life, right? And this is what Paul is saying exactly in Ephesians 3. He's saying through this church, through these means, the, the wisdom of God is being made known to the world. Now, this has been hidden in ages past. That's one of the things that Paul will talk about. That in the past, we didn't quite, we didn't have clarity. We kind of saw dimly, right? And we still see somewhat dimly until Christ returns. But it has been made manifest now in Christ Jesus. And what is the church? It's the body of Christ, right? Christ is the head of the church. We are, we are, there's again, this kind of beautiful mystery of we are, we have been united to Christ as the body of Christ. And that this is God's plan A for how the gospel, how the forgiveness of sins, how life is made known in the world, is distributed in the world. God, God did not does not have a plan B, right? So nobody else has this mission. Walmart has not been given this mission. Starbucks has not been given this mission. CrossFit has not been given this mission. ExxonMobil has not been given it. AT&T, right? None of these places do have this mission. Only the church. Only the church has been commissioned, has been called, has been empowered, has been declared by God as the place that the life of Jesus Christ is declared, shared, distributed, and experienced. Wow, how amazing is that? Yeah, so you're really talking means language. And that's a, that's a framework within the Lutheran church that we are very comfortable with. And we really mm. see that all throughout scripture that God uses means to do things. So, so dive down on that a little bit more as you think of the congregation, because that maybe for, for some of our listeners, that's, that sounds kind of odd. How is the congregation a means? So we tend to use this word means of grace in, in sacramental historic expressions of the faith uh, to describe specifically the preaching of the word of God and the Lord's Supper and baptism, okay? These, these are the means by which God is delivering. They're delivery mechanisms, delivery 
they're conduits, if you will. One, one picture that I like to use is they're kind of like the UPS driver, the UPS truck, the UPS driver, and the box that your package comes in, right? So uh, when they show up at the door, they ring the bell, doorbell and there's a package on our front steps. My kids don't run out the door and say, oh, thank you so much, UPS guy, and give him a big hug because they know actually he's simply the delivery guy. The, the, the package actually came from, you know, Grammy and Gramps. And it was, it was sent by them with love, with intent. And the UPS guy just happens to be the person who delivers it, right? The box that the package came in. They don't pick up the box and say, oh, you know, Grammy was so kind to give me this box, right? This cardboard box. Like, uh, no, they want what's in that box. And th this is how we can talk about the sacraments, right? Is that they are a means of delivering the promise of the forgiveness of sins, okay? But the church is also a type of means of grace. Now, this is kind of broadening the term or broadening it pretty significantly. Uh, some people would maybe say that there's a sacramental nature to the church. It's not a sacrament, but but there's a sense in which if the local congregation is the place that God is delivering and declaring the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting, that means it's a mechanism or that same type of means by which people experience this really good news. And that's powerful. Again, no one else has been given that call. No one else has been given that commission. Only the local congregation has been called to that. Yeah, I think that's something that we can very easily forget. And I think that's something that the modern church has forgotten. And we do treat the church like other organizations that we are a part of, uh, clubs, uh, just places to come and go. You know, yeah, I don't really feel like it today, so I'm not going to be part of that today or, or whatever. And we have such a low view of the nature of the church. And that then really is a sad thing. But as we talk about the church as a means, right? And we we then ask the question, well, well, why or how? How is it that the church is so amazing? You know, what happens there? What why is it such a significant thing? And then consequently, then why do we want to plant more of them? And we can sort of center our thoughts around four big categories. And and each of these are are pretty we could, we could spend a lot of time on them, but we're just going to kind of walk through them pretty quick here. I'm just going to take the first one. The first main purpose and, and jump into is, is really an encounter with God, right? This is, this is what happens, you know, through the word and the sacraments, all those that worship, church, congregation. It is a profound encounter with a living God and all the gifts that he has, right? That, that God comes to us. We don't show up for God. And that is one of the big... Uh, misunderstanding sometimes about the church, that church is a place where I come and I show up for God. I come and I, and I want to perform for him and I want to show God just how much I love him and just how awesome he is. And I got to work myself up to do that. But when I don't feel like it, then I just don't show up at church, right? But the other side, are this, the, the way it really should be is that church is a place where we encounter God. And, and I love that picture in Isaiah 6 where, where Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, right? And this amazing vision of this holy, holy God, right? And he saw who he was. He encountered him. And then consequently, everything flowed from that, right? He saw his need. He was commissioned and everything like that. But when we, when we encounter God, we encounter the transcendent. We encounter mm. him. And, and, and we are actually then participating in the activities that are happening in the heavenlies right now, right? We are, we are joining our voices with the angels and the archangels and the company of heaven. We are encountering this holy God, this transcendent God, that doesn't happen anywhere else, right? Yeah. And, and, and as he gathers us in, he gathers us in as a good shepherd. 
He gathers you and he gathers me and he gathers all of our people in our churches. Weary people, sinners. We got nothing to offer him, really. And he invites us to himself. He feeds us, he nourishes us. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, I think also this is actually really important. We live, I was just listening to, um, uh, reading something, again, Christian Smith, I think I mentioned him last time. He's a fascinating kind of sociologist. And he's kind of commenting on and looking and observing some of the trends in America, specifically in the church. And, you know, we have this whole rise over the last 50 years of people who say they're spiritual, mm. but not religious. Yeah. So how does that maybe interact with this? Because I think, we're, I think in, you know, the fundamental principle number one, we are saying something very different than that. Or people who would say, like, I just experience God. You know, we've all talked to him. I, I just really experience God most when I'm hiking in the woods, when I'm out, you know, at the beach, when I'm all alone. What would you say to a person like that? Like, what is our, our doctrine, our theology of the local congregation? Uh, how does that, how do those two maybe not go, go together so well? Or it's not the full vision of what God would intend? Yeah, the, the scripture knows nothing about privatized Christianity. Right? We, we just don't see that in the Bible. The scripture doesn't talk about solo Christianity. It doesn't talk about, um, <laughs> I define my own spirituality. You just don't see that, right? Yes, it is true that we live in a day where, where we have so privatized that. And we, have, we have been catechized to think that our faith is, is just our own and we create as we want and we do whatever we want. And that is just so opposite from what we see all throughout the, the scriptures, right? Old Testament, I mean, that, what a foreign idea. New Testament, mm. you just don't see throughout church history. It's not, it's not there, right? Um, and and I think whenever we remove this first point that that there's an encounter with God, and it's an encounter with God communally, right? That this is a body, this is a group. Whenever we remove that, we are going to be tempted to recreate church however we want, and and that's certainly what we see. And, and so when church is simply about me expressing myself, well, frankly. That probably is easier to do in the woods because I don't have to see mm -hmm. that other sinner across the aisle, right? I don't have to hear cheesy music. I don't have to hear all this stuff that I don't like. And I, I don't have to hear things that are going to distract me or remind me of the world. And so if, if, if church is all about just me feeling mm. good and feeling like I need to express my faith to God, well, then I can very easily create a case for why I don't need to go and why it's easier somewhere else. How does the two categories we talk about in theology of special revelation and general revelation play into this? Because I think that, I think those maybe hold the key here a bit to it. Oh boy, that's so a curveball. Special, <laughs> yeah. So so special revelation. Right. So we would say so. Uh, Romans one says that sure. Uh, uh, we can we can perceive something about who God is, right? His attributes, his power, his omniscience. Right? We can perceive something, right? General through creation itself. Mm -hmm. In fact, some of the church fathers and the, even the Psalms refer to how creation, like this handiwork, we like see God's handiwork. Yeah. But in that general revelation, we do see God's wisdom and beauty and um, power, mm -hmm. but it does not tell us about how we are saved and reconciled to him. Right. That only comes via special revelation, which is the word of God, where God mm -hmm. specifically reveals his message of redemption and reconciliation through Jesus Christ. So the church, here's, here's what's interesting. People say, oh, I'm spiritual and I just, you know, I go out in, in the woods and commune with God. It's like, okay, it's good. Like we should all go out and admire the handiwork of God. Praise be to God. It is all his handiwork. Yes. But that's not where he has chosen to reveal himself um, as intimately 
It's not where he has called you to encounter him as in the same way that he has within what the local congregation. Yeah, that's a really that's a really helpful distinction there because God has located himself. I mean, in his word and in his sacraments. And, and that is the thing that we are encountering. And then so as we are brought yeah. to church, as we as he is gathering us, as we are encountering him and we come in, we are sinners, right? He then is like, hey, come to my banquet feast. He's the host. We are we are the gathered guests. We feast on him. We receive true nourishment uh, through the word and sacraments. Those are communal things, right? Those are beautiful things that God has designed for his people. Uh, that is the primary purpose. And we can't mm. get that by ourselves. We, we just can't. Yeah. Right? We are designed well, to is, gather and be fed. Yeah. I think this is even, it's an interesting question here that all of us, you know, as people who are believers should ask this question, okay, how do we experience God? Where do we experience God? Right. So all Christians would agree we experience God on a Sunday morning as we gather together. I think everyone would say like, yeah, okay. But I think there's a different way we answer that in, in maybe between some of the historic traditions and some of the newer traditions um, that would say kind of two different models. One says, I experience God internally. It's an emotion. It's an experience, Right. And we see then some of the newer expressions of Christianity that have never existed before. They gear everything that they do in their service around that. Their architecture right. is geared towards eliminating any external distractions, putting all the, the, the focus on what they can control, these kind of micro controls, in order to help people experience God internally. Okay, And God, we, we can, right? There's, I'm not saying there's not this massively subjective component of the Christian faith. There is. But uh, the beauty, I would say, and of the historic faith, see the biblical faith, is that the locus of where God promises to show up is word and sacrament. So it's, there's an objective nature to it. And you were kind of referencing this earlier. There's an objective nature to it. So we don't have to come to church and say, I wonder if God's going to show up today, right? If you knew yeah. Jesus is going to, God is going to show up at, at you know a building down the street, a big conference, a convention center, he's going to show up and he's going to speak. Man, everybody be like, what? Let's go. Everybody hurry, get to the convention center. Jesus is going to show up and teach. But do we do that same thing when we hear, oh, the word of God is going to be read. We're going to open up the Bible to the gospel of Matthew, right? And we're going to hear Jesus speak, right? We should be breaking down the doors because that's the very same thing. There is no difference between the two. It's the same thing. And that's what he does objectively every Sunday morning in this local congregation which is why, going back to our definition in the Augsburg Confession, and Sphere repeated this, right? Many have. And in fact, this is a common definition among, you know, I say probably most churches. Uh, but the church is the congregation of saints in which the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments are rightly administered. This is the body of Christ. This is where God has promised to show up. And, and again, this ties all the way back to this means of grace of how God is, is bringing in his salvific work in the world. Yeah, and I think the more we understand this, it just radically changes how we see our relationship to the local congregation. Uh, you know, so if I see that the local congregation is that instrument, it is that means, it is the place where God is mm -hmm. and he's gonna nurture me and serve me, then when I'm busy, when I'm not really up for anything, when, I, when I'm not excited to sing or whatever, when I'm burdened, when I've had a terrible week, it's irrelevant. I, I realize oh, this is where God is. I need to. I need to be loved. I need to be loved. I need mm. to encounter mm. God. 
Now that then creates something, right? Something changes, something yeah. happens. And this then relates to that second aspect. And you just talked about it, but it has to be in the right order. Expression is important. And that is that mm. second aspect of our faith. We are designed to experience, right? We, we are experiential creatures. And when we encounter God, again, go back to Isaiah 6, right? I saw the Lord and then I'll boom, he, he's flattened. Woe is me, right? I mean, talk about experiential in expression, right? And so that is our response. That is the second thing that happens at church in our local congregations, and it flows naturally from encountering God. So talk about um, talk about that expression, right? The response of faith and the various aspects that we see throughout Scripture. Even let's just focus on Scripture. What are the various kinds of um, responses and expressions do we see? It is, you know, biblically, this is important. It's kind of tying back to the encountering the triune God, but God always initiates. That's really important. Mm -hmm. God always initiates, whether it's in the Garden of Eden, whether it's Abraham, whether it's, I mean, you go down the list, God shows up and speaks first. It's not the other way around. It's not people begging, oh, we're God, God, come, come to us, come to us, right? It's God shows up and speaks. That's when change happens. So that encountering, God saying, here's where I'm promising to show up. Here's where I'm gonna speak, right? Through this word. That's key. And then, yeah, then there's always this kind of reflex, uh, this, this response to what God has said, right? So that could be starting with, wow, God is present. Let's, let's confess our sins. That's a response to what, sure. who God is, right? Or we are going to um, sing praise to him as we hear that mm-hmm. our sins have been forgiven. Praise be to God. Let's, let's sing praise to him. We're going to lift our prayers and petitions to him as we're reminded he is God Almighty, right? And that he invites us as a father to bring these before him. All these are ways that we are expressing our faith um, and responding to who he is. And I, I love the picture of, I'll often do this, like I'll draw on a whiteboard. It's kind of like these, like a W, imagine a W, but it just kind of keeps on going. How the Christian worship service starts mm. with like the arrow coming yeah. down to the people and then we respond and the arrow coming down and we respond, arrow coming down, we respond. Right. And that's like, that's the Christian life. It's this constant, uh, back and forth of God moving and then us responding, God moving and us responding and in confession and in faith. Um, that's really beautiful. Yeah, throughout scripture, you see a variety of ways too, even th- what that expression looks like, right? Uh, mm. some, some of those expressions are people are falling flat on their face, total prostration. Some, some of those expressions, people are bowing down. Some hands are raised in the air. Sometimes it's quiet, prayer. I mean, it's just all over the place. Thanksgiving, gratitude, honor, glory, adoration, uh, but it all flows out of that deep encounter with the Holy God. It's very experiential. And, and this is kind of what's really interesting about the historic church, right? Because you can see throughout history, God's people uh, sort of using things with that, colors and smells and sounds and this beautiful organic tapestry in response to God. It's, it's really beautiful. All right, the third, the third reason here, of, or the third thing that happens at church and why it's such a beautiful gift and why it is this means type of thing is education and formation. And this is something I know that you were very, very passionate about, but talk about how the, the church, the local congregation is formative. Man. Yeah. It, it is not just a matter of being saved by the gospel, but it's a matter of being formed by the gospel, right? That the gospel is it, it, it we receive the forgiveness of sins, but now it changes who we are, and how we view the world. And Paul talks about this. Like in Ephesians 2, we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, and we've been created for like what good works, right? And this is flowing out. Or the Holy Spirit 
being this gift that we are given to produce what the fruit of the spirit within our life. So we are being, the, the call is on a Christian is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Philippians 2, have this mind, this attitude, this perspective that Christ had, right? To, to consider yourself uh, less important than everybody else, to, to serve those around you. It's a vocational call, ultimately, to love God and our neighbor, right? And this formation is ultimately being formed into the image of Christ, the love of Christ. We're allowing love to form who we are. And that means laying down our life. And we see this in every vocational call, a husband's to lay down his wife, uh, his life for his wife, right? Out of love. Um, and we could go kind of go down the list, the wife for the husband and the children, for the, 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 the government for the people, like go all the way down this list. And it's this formation that God is calling and seeking to do in our life and heart of growth and sanctification. And that happens. How does that happen? As we encounter God, as we express our faith, as we encounter God in his word and sacrament, in community, life together, that uh, we are, Paul says, to stir one another up to love and good works. So there's not this, I think so often we, the formation, we can boil it down to a simple like, hey, read this book or go through this program. And I think we do it a lot of um, uh, kind of a, a disservice when we make it as simple and clean as that, that it's messy, it's a difficult uh, it takes our entire life. We never arrive, but but God is faithful in the midst of all that. So uh, Dr. Dan Elger, he has a, a quote that he, he says all the time. He says, our worship services are our number one discipleship tool. Talk about that. I know, again, this is something, seeing how uh, just our services in general, like not only are we encountering God, but there are certain rhythms that God's people have used that help in that formation because everything we do shapes us in some way. Right. And so talk about different aspects that we see maybe in old Testament worship, new Testament worship, or even like heavenly worship. What are, what are some of the rhythms? What are some of the ways that, that God is used specifically to form and shape people as he gathers them? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I the, you know, it, part of the question is how does God bring about a change in our life? That's part of the question. So we always say, what are the means? Again, it is this language of means <laughs> mm -hmm. coming back to it. And, you know, we want to come back to these chief means of the word of God. So the reading and the preaching of the word of God. So the church historically, Paul says this in first, first Timothy, devote yourselves, right, to the reading of the word. He says this in multiple places, right? Uh, the first church in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. So the, the primacy of the word of God, we cannot we can't overstate. It's so critically important. So the historic expression of the church is that we actually take time to read pretty large chunks of God's word. Uh, That's one thing as I, you know, we've received a lot of people from an, um, maybe an evangelical background. They're like, wow, we like read a lot of, of scripture here, right? They maybe came from a background where like they read a couple of verses and then the sermon was a more thematic verse. I know it's not all churches, but that is a significant trend out there. So that we're going to sit and read, you know, massive chunks of scripture um, from the Old Testament and New Testament and Psalms and Gospels. It says something about what we think is that is important. What we do in the service is uh, what we're teaching people and forming people to value is what we're doing there. So I said that's that's just one one component, um, very formative component within the service. 
Yeah, really, we could spend a lot of time just on that, and maybe down the road we we will, because there's a whole lot more we could talk about. But yes. the fourth aspect, though, of what happens in the local congregation and why it's such a beautiful gift and why it's means-type language is witness. It's evangelism, right? Mm. And, and not not in the sense of a program, and sometimes not, not in the sense of a, this narrow understanding that maybe we are thinking about evangelism in our current context, but in a much bigger kind of way, that something is happening as God's people are worshiping people. What is that? What is that witness about? What is that evangelism about inherently in the local congregation? Man, I like to talk about two kind of sides of this. On, on one hand, it's the very fact that we gather together gives witness to something in the world. The very fact that we get together under a tree, in a house, in a barn, in a church building, whatever it is, right? That fact is that the world says something's happening, right? Mm -hmm. Something's happening. Those people are gathering around something. Right. So when we, yeah. So when we say, this is why we're gathering to encounter the triune God, to express our faith and our praise and uh, petitions to the Lord to be formed in Christ, that is, that is communicating something to the world. But there's kind of a second factor is that this is a place that we are receiving the life of God and now being sent into the world, as Paul says, ambassadors of reconciliation. Now we go forth having received this life, being changed by the Spirit, right, on this ongoing process. And now we go into the world to speak this same life and good news and to ultimately draw people back into this deeper life with Christ himself. Yeah, it's just kind of funny. Like you think about just how radical and countercultural it is to have in our day and age, a group of people gathered around worshiping something other than themselves <laughs> in deep, deep radical community with one another and inviting others to explore the worth and value of God. And, and really, that is the heart here. It's like we are we are bringing people in to encounter God, to be formed and shaped and to be sent out into the world, right? And to serve God in their vocations and everything. And so, I, again, we can spend a lot more time on all of these areas, and there's so much of the beauty of the congregation. But I, I, I want you, listener, to, to just reflect on your understanding of your local congregation, as we talk about this, as we see the incredible beauty of it, as we see the design of this, I want you to just think about how important this congregation is for you and like what kind of a gift it is for you. It is the place God has built for you. It is your local congregation mm. that we need this. You need this. This isn't a place where we just sort of randomly show up and come maybe once a month or whatever, but this is like a lifeline. This is that outpost in our life that we so desperately need to radically change us, to encounter God, to experience his word and his table, his sacraments, to be nourished in community. And so we go back to the original question, like why plant churches? Why plant current new congregations? What do you got? Summarize yeah, it. Because this is God's means of doing that. It's yeah. his, his plan A, no plan B. He says, this is what I want. This is how this good news, this is how my life is declared in the world. Uh, this is it. So why do we want more to plant more churches? So that more people would experience this life of God and the forgiveness yeah. of God in Christ Jesus. So it, when, when we do, and it, it is like, even just talking about this is such a great reminder to us. Like it, it's not just this broken, you know, <laughs> frustrating uh, local kind of gathering of people who are all imperfect, right? It's this divine design. It's the ark. 
right? And the church sometimes talked about yes. that. You'll see an old Christian art icons, like this picture of like the church as an ark. It's the ark in a world that's, that's gonna be, right, that's being flooded, right? By sin and death uh, and by the power of Satan, the church is the ark, right? Everyone get in the ark, get in the ark, right? The door is wide open. Christ is the door, come into this, this ark. And that we wanna, we wanna invite people into that and planting more churches is a, um, just a, the way that God calls us to do that work. Amen. All right, thanks for joining us today. If you're interested in exploring church planting more within the, the Free Lutheran Church, if you would like to call us, contact us, we would love to visit with you. Uh, subscribe to this new podcast. Uh, we hope that this is a great resource to encourage you along the way of learning more about church planting and in your own life with the Lord. Contact us at aflchomemissions.org. Thanks.